You are listening to the Riverbend Youth Podcast. We hope this teaching deepens your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to share your faith with others. enjoy the message. Well, when I was in high school, I visited a large church, um, and I went to their youth group on Wednesday night, and I remember their youth pastor very vividly. This was a guy, he had spiky, bleached, tipped hair, you know what I'm saying, which was so cool in 2007. He had super cool clothes on, and he was really charismatic, too. He was really, like, high-energy communicator. I don't remember his name. I don't remember the content of anything that he talked about that night. I just remember one thing that he said, and it's the reason I never went back to visit this church or this youth group at all. Uh, He was in the middle of talking about God and Jesus and, and, and the church. And he said this, he said, and I quote, I mean, this is like a dead on quote. He said, there are a lot of tiny, insignificant churches out there, but I don't want to be another tiny, insignificant church. Ah! And like the people went crazy. Like they're like, yeah. And it was a really motivational kind of statement. But I remember it just hit me like this sentence right there. It, it's honestly changed the trajectory of my life and has a lot to do with my philosophy of ministry to this day. Because how I received that was different than what I felt like the rest of the people, how they received it, right? I I remember thinking there is no such thing as an insignificant church. Like I came from a small church and I was like, does it mean that we're insignificant because we have fewer people showing up than you are who are big and have a ton of people showing up? Like, you, like, is our significance based on our attendance, how many people are showing up? Because I remember there's this scripture that's like, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among you. And I was just thinking like, it is just as powerful and effective, the praying person who's gathered, getting into God's word and in a community with one another. Um, if there's just a couple just as powerful as if there are a couple hundred, right? So, so I remember thinking like there is no such thing as an insignificant church if you are being the church. But what does it really mean to be the church? Like, because church is not a place we attend. It's not a building. It's not a location. It's, it's, it's a collective. It's a concept. It's an idea. It's every person who's ever put their faith in Jesus across the entire planet Earth. That is the church. Now, there are different expressions of the church and different gatherings of the church and different places, buildings that we call churches. But really, it's just a gathering spot. And to prove this, I want to kind of look back at the New Testament, this is the first time we see this word church really appear. And if we go back into the Greek, which is the original language that the New Testament was written in, the word is ekklesia, and it looks like that in Greek. And if you can't read Greek, it says ekklesia. Trust me. Um, but the definition of this is it's an assembly or gathering of citizens called uh, out from their homes into a public place. That's what we're doing right now. We're in ekklesia. We're we're a, we're a church. We're a gathering. It says those who anywhere in a city or village, etc., constitute such a company, and this is the key, are united into one body. That's what I mean when I say that it it encompasses all Christians everywhere. Like together, 
though we are kind of separated and though we are different, we're all one. We're all part of one body. Now, this ecclesia, this church, this place is different. This place is different than any other place on the planet, and it has to be. Like I mentioned, I don't care if there are two, 200, or 2,000. It's very significant when these people gather, and to get into a comparison trap with other um, church gatherings is dangerous. The first ecclesia we see is in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 34. I'm just going to read them for us. So check it out. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Like they were perfectly unified, right? And they were all just gathering for the first time. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And everyone was like, what do we do? Like, we got to get together. We got to like, we got to worship. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about what it's like to live life now. And so they started just gathering for the first time about people who, Jesus, the Christ, and these people who wanted to live life in him, in Christ. They were Christians, right? And they were like, let's just do this thing together and live life. And, and it says that, that no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They're like, what's mine is yours. We're just going to share it all. They had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles, this is people who are following Jesus, were giving their testimony. They were like, this is how God changed my life to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I saw it. My dad saw it. My brother saw it. Like this guy really died. He was really born again. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. They were like, did you see? I know it's crazy. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a greedy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold. Kind of like what we're doing at Vibes. We're, we're buying and selling things and we're bringing the money back to just distribute it as needed to people. Right? Verse 35, they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. They, this is what the original church looked like. It was a really beautiful thing. So my question is, why don't we really see things like this very often anymore? And my second question is, does this sound like us? Like when you listen to that, you're thinking like, well, that's the goal and that's what we're going for. That's how the church kind of began. What has happened to us between now and then? We've put our emphasis on so many things that are trivial and insignificant when the most important thing is, is, is Jesus at the center, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then living life together. Like, like really, like knowing one another on the deepest of levels. What's mine is yours. I'll give you the shirt off my back if that's what you need. I'll give you the money out of my bank account. You're have it all if that's what you need, because I know you would do the same for me if I needed it. Like, that's what it was like. And yet, there are some of us in here who, like I've been saying, might not even know the person's name sitting on the same row as you. Like, when I hear this phrase, they had everything in common. They were of one heart and, and one soul. Like, that's unity at its deepest level. Like, do we have everything in common? No, of course not. Heck no, we don't have anything in common, like everything in common. There are people in this room who are essentially nothing like other people in this room. Like we're, we're super different, right? And the goal is apparently unity. How it all started is unity. But we live on this planet called Earth that's so polarizing and it makes unity feel dang near impossible, especially since we all tend to hang out with people who are kind of like us, people that we already know, and it, and it kind of gets like groupy like, and segregated and kind of clicky, and that's comfortable. 
But Christ calls us out of our comfort zone, and you can write that down. We're supposed to be all in this thing together, but it's hard. It's unnatural. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. Luke chapter 18. So check this out. We looked at um, Jesus' last meal last week when he sat down with the homies and was like, look, I'm about to die. Just so you know, let's break bread together. Let's drink this together. And remember that God is doing a new thing here. We started this series last week. And um, today I want to look at Jesus' last prayer. So if you have a Bible or the Bible app on your phone, which I highly encourage you to get into and download, um, we're going to be in John chapter 17. So go ahead and get there if you want to. Um, and this is kind of chronologically working out. Jesus and his friends had just finished this dinner, and now they were going to go to this place and pray together. This place was called Gethsemane. It was a garden in Israel that you can still visit to this day. And they were just going to go there and pray. And I love that, that John, like the reason this book of the Bible is called John um, is, is because there was this guy named John who wrote down what he saw and heard Jesus do and say, and, and, and he just took a record of it. And now we have that record, and it's been translated from Greek to English, and it's now compiled in the 66 books that make up our Bible, and it's called a gospel, the gospel, or the good news, according to John. My favorite gospel, by the way. Um, but John's silly, because I imagine it like Jesus and his friends, like he's about to die, and they know this. And they go to this garden to pray. And John's sitting there like, I'm going to write this down. It'd be like that friend who is just like you're praying or something. And they're over there in the corner just like texting or on the notes app the entire time. It's like, that is super disrespectful, John. Like, pay attention. But uh, I think he was thinking, no, this guy's about to die. Like, he's going to say some of the most important and significant stuff right now. So I'm going to make sure I write this down so that we can remember it because this is going to bless people for generations. And so it has. So in John's written record of Jesus' prayer, he writes this, direct quote from Jesus, son of God, savior of the world, praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, because he was with his friends. He's like, I'm not just praying for these guys, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us, like here, now, today. Because those, after Jesus died, resurrected and ascended into heaven, these guys started spreading the good news. They, they, that church in Acts was a result of that. And it like caught on like wildfire. People were telling people who were telling people who were telling people. And that hasn't stopped to this day. That's what we're doing right now. So Jesus prayed for us, for you and me. What was his prayer? He continues, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. Who's he talking to? God, the Father. Interceding is the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about Jesus, the Son, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, this three-in-one thing that we have going on. And, and he's saying, just as we are one, which is perfect, by the way, like there's no imperfection in the unity between God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, they're perfect and sinless, right? And he says, like, as you are in me, Father, I am in you. He's like, just like that, that's what I want these people to be like. I want to be perfect like that. 
Why? Let me read on. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So that the world will believe that Jesus was really from God, that he is really legit, that he really is who he says he was, is, and really did what he did. People on the outside world looking in will believe that's true when they see us, people with nothing in common, with no reason to like each other or hang out or spend time together. If we're perfectly unified, like, I have to believe in God. Like, there's no other option. There's no other explanation. And then he says this, because what's the vehicle by which we can possibly do this? Because it's unnatural and it's difficult. But he says this, I have given them the glory you gave me. Jesus has given us the glory that God gave him so that they may be one, just as they are one, right? That's, you hear us say it, that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in us. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. We have this ability to transcend these social barriers, these cultural walls that divide us and find the one thing in common that we all as believers have. And he finishes like this. He says, I am in them. You are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me. God loves you just as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. Jesus prayed for us. He wants you to know that he loves you. And how do we prove this? By being unified, by saying, I got your back anyone in this room, anytime, any place, no matter what, whether it's a sixth grader or a senior, whether you're into sports or whether you're not at all, whether you're musical or you're not, whether you're black or you're white, whether you're big or you're small, whether you're gay or you're trans or straight or whatever, no matter what, we've got to be unified. If we're here and we're seeking Jesus, we are in it together. This is how the world will know that God is legit. Because yes, we are different. Yes, we, we, we are this, this mosaic, this spectrum of people, of God's creation that's, that's all over the place, frankly. But that's, that's a beautiful thing because we all come together to create one thing, one body. And the one thing we have in common is Jesus, right? If, if everything else is different and we disagree on everything else, we can agree on Jesus, that he loves us, that he was sent by God for us. And we can go a long way on that. Now, whose responsibility is this? Whose responsibility is this to make sure that we're all unified, that we're all known and seen and loved? And like, whose job is that? It's not, it's not mine. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's yours. This is your responsibility, you, individually. And if we're all doing that, we'll all be doing it, right? But you have to take ownership. You have to take some responsibility. If you see someone walk in this place and they're new and they're lost, you know how intimidating that is to walk into this place? Some of us have done it for so long and we grew up here or something like that and we don't even think twice about it. We just walk in, we're like, yay, and that's it. But for someone to walk, they don't know anyone. You just got dropped off because your parents were like, we're going to church. <laughs> and you're like, no. And you're just here. Dude, imagine how helpful it would be if someone just went up to that person and was like, hey, what's your name? I'm Steve. Great to meet you. Where do you go to school? What grade are you in? What things are you into? You can sit by me. 
That'd go a long way, wouldn't it? It should be like, a, it should be like I don't know, dogs on a piece of steak or something whenever a new person walks in. Like, I'm going to make them feel loved and welcomed and accepted first. And you'd be stiff-arming people to get there. That's how it should be. And if we all do that, boom, ecclesia, church, unity. And is it too corny to acknowledge that unity begins with you? I mean, come on. It's like too perfect. I even Look how I wrote it. Yeah. Unity begins with you. I mean, it starts with you. I, I know it's corny, but I had to throw it in there. A lot of us, a lot of things that I've mentioned here this morning are about how God is moving in this place. And I totally believe he is. I don't want you to hear me shaming us or making us feel bad or putting us on this guilt trip of not doing a good job because you guys are doing an amazing job. The stuff that I listed at the beginning of all of the, the amazing things that God's doing in through this ministry, this stuff didn't even exist a year ago. None of this stuff existed a year ago. Like we, We've come together to create this and to build this so far. And I want to continue creating and continue building. And I want to do that with you. I think God is interested in it. And I think God's invested in it because we're advancing his kingdom through love and acceptance and ultimately unity. But we've all got to step up and we've all got to, to, to take a part in this. We all have a role to play in this together. Like one person can't just do it alone. So it's time to share what you have found in Christ with other people. It's time to not keep it to yourself and to treat people the way that you would want to be treated, to include people the way that you want someone to include you, to hang out outside of this place with people, to literally just create hangouts and, and stuff on the weekends. I mean, you have the permission and the freedom to, to do that stuff, to show the world that God is moving in your heart, that God's moving in this place, that God's moving in our world and to share it. It, it, it starts with you. So um, I just want to challenge you with it and encourage you in it to say, you can do this. I believe in you. We're here for you. We're in it together. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be good because I think God is just getting started. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Youth Podcast. To learn about our mission, gatherings, and more, please follow us on Instagram at rbyouth or check out our website at riverbend.com students. If you were encouraged by this message, please subscribe, rate us, and consider sharing our channel with a friend. Available anywhere you get podcasts.